Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks very much for subscribing and making nice comments, which uh, mainly is what people do. I'm Ian Cheeseman. This is Forever Blue. And uh, I have with me, as usual, three guests who I'll introduce in just a second. And we have a number of subjects to talk about tonight as we build up to the festive season. Uh, I would like to say thank you to charleslouis.co.uk, who are chartered mortgage advisors and who are the sponsors of this podcast. Thanks very much, guys. Dave is a man who uh, I talk to, who I know, who is a City fan. So if you are in the process of buying a house, thinking of buying a house, buying a business, thinking of buying a business, or you need some some advice on on mortgages, then first of all, go to charleslouis.co.uk. Uh, look at their telephone number if you like, ring them, ask for Dave by all means, say that you've heard about them through the Forever Blue podcast, which will go down a treat, uh, and, and I'm sure that they will help you and give you good advice, and knowing Dave as I do, I know you can trust him, so so give it a go if you need that, and thanks very much, as I say, to charleslouis.co.uk for their support. Now, the guest tonight, we've got Tony from Hot Click Marketing, who is a, a regular now, and is also a big supporter of the vlogs that we do, uh, and I think has some more prizes that we're going to be uh, offering to people during the festive period, uh, which he's, he's, he's got for us. We appreciate that. We've got Will, who we also know as Steven Spielberg because he is our filming guru. So when you see things on YouTube or little Twitter videos, it's down to, to Will, so don't blame me. No, I didn't mean that. <laughs> uh, but Will is also a valued contributor to the podcast, so he's on tonight as a voice as well uh, as being the guru behind the camera. But we also have a newbie. Now, Rather than me introduce you, I'm going to get you to, to tell me a little bit about yourself. So who are you? How old are you? And what's your back? And what, what sort of City fan are you? Are you a match going? Do you go occasionally? Do you watch on TV? Give us your, an insight into who you are. Okay, hi guys. Um, my name's Nabil. Um, I'm 24 years old. And uh, in terms of a City fan, I'd say I'm a pretty big City fan. I go to some of the games watch them on TV when I can make it I'll go when I can't I won't um, but I, I tend not to miss a game on TV um, I'll always watch the um, a live game whether that's on Sky BT wherever and when I can make it to the games I'll go I met you at Burnley which yep. was an away game uh, you're predominantly a home fan do you go to, to lots of away games or yeah, this uh, isn't judgement by the way this is just to give the listeners no, 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 no. an idea of you and what you're all yeah, about no, no. I, go, I tend to go to the home games more uh, Burnley was an opportunity because um, we had some tickets in corporate so I took up the opportunity it was kind of any excuse to watch City to be honest um, and it is difficult to get um, away tickets but yeah I tend to go lean more towards the home games um, if I'm going to be completely honest with you yeah how long have you been going have you been going through uh, the eras before uh, Roberto Mancini or has it just been the Mancini no, no, and Pellegrini been, it's been, to be completely honest it's been from Mancini onwards um, so kind of more of like a new City fan um, but yeah and at the moment I've always been a Pep fan um, as well and I think uh, the football City have been playing over the past two three seasons have just been absolutely fantastic it's just sublime it's exquisite and it's beautiful and there's no other way to sum it up and I think that's drawn me more and more towards uh, Man City um, but yeah it's uh, mainly Pep and what he's done to this team and I know under Mancini and Pellegrini we won but I think you guys would agree with me we're winning in a different style now and of course we got the um, the back-to-back um, kind of won the leagues back-to-back and I think that in itself is a it's a major indicator of now we're becoming a great team and Pep's taken us to that next level. And I mean, to win a domestic treble, that 
I mean, people might, I know you hear a lot of people saying things like, oh, it's only um, a Carabao Cup or an FA Cup. But to do that in one season and win all the trophies together shows the mentality within a team. It shows the depth in the, in the squad we've got. And it just shows that it's just a winning, winning, winning mentality. And I think it was a fabulous achievement last season. And um, I know it's unfortunate with what circumstances with the league this season but Europe has to be the focus um, as well as the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup as well all right well welcome to the team thank you very much um, let's start by uh, this week's podcast by talking about the the Arsenal game which was the last one up now a couple of weeks ago uh, everybody was was frothing at the mouth uh, if that's the right expression about the Burnley performance which obviously you were there and it was an excellent performance and that that was uh, followed by uh, the the game against United certainly in the Premier League which was a big disappointment and then the next Premier League game is a trip to the Emirates which I've been so many times to high and to the Emirates down the years and watch City get pasted on so many occasions that um, it, it never feels like a, a good place to go and yet on the way back from the Emirates yesterday uh, we recording this of course on Monday evening I was told by somebody that City had won there three times in a row and that this was the best away record or the first time sorry that anybody had achieved this three wins uh, at Arsenal uh, in 30 years wow. so me I can't believe that as a City fan who has only painful memories of going to Arsenal, can, see, can go and see them sort of stroll through this game. So what did you make of the Arsenal game, guys? Um, I have to be honest, I was working. I just about managed to um, scrabble to get away early to watch the second half, which was the worst of the two halves. Um, I've seen it back all on television and... I was just I wasn't shocked by De Bruyne, De Bruyne's performance because we all know he's world class but it was unbelievable wasn't it I think it's nice to see, it's nice to see him come back to the form that he was in in the 100 point season because obviously he was out injured all last season there's been bits and bobs this season where he's he's looked genuine but then other times he struggled but today and the um the last game he's just been incredible really so you were impressed by him what about the rest of the team um, rest of the team again so uh, it's nice to see Mendy back coming strong I think um, a couple of weeks ago we were all thinking is this the end of Mendy you know Angelino was being played in, ahead of him in the big games but um, no he looks he looks uh, like he's coming back to full form glad to see Foden get a start um, was, is that his first Premier League start? He played against Tottenham last season right yeah so it's Tottenham. his first of the season and he <coughs> saw Francis Lee tweet that out by the way today well done on your full Premier League full debut Premier League and a few debut. people went ah, whoa 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 <laughs> Tottenham last season but <laughs> might yeah. have been where I got it from <laughs> but um, he doesn't look out of place at all um, he looked from the highlights that I saw I think he looked stronger once he got moved over to the right wing I think it was because he started on the left Um but really, obviously, he played well on the left wing, played excellent on the right wing. He's played well as a, a holding. It just seems like he can play anywhere across the front, really. So that was good to see as well. What about you, Tony? Yeah, it was a good game. I think it was, in terms of the game itself, was what we've not been doing um, for the other games, really. We were closing down, tracking back as a team. Um, I think Foden gave us well, he gave us everything yesterday in terms of his nice. work rate. Um, but that's what we've missed all seem we all season so far. We've seemed to have missed that energy in midfield, like Bernardo gave us last year, and obviously after the year he had last year in terms of what he played as well for Portugal in the summer as well. I think you know 
to expect the same and for him to take, uh, hit the ground running again this year was expecting too much but I thought Foden did that for us and this was my not necessarily critique but this is what I was saying um, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast about David Silva was it was not saying anything bad in terms of what he's done for was because any City fan loves David Silva. I don't I've never heard a bad word said about him. The only thing I was saying in terms of he can he do it every three days, and that for me was the issue at the derby. Was it was three days after he'd ran ragged at Burnley, and does he have the legs in him? And I think that's where Foden gives us that something different and that bit of energy that old tired legs don't necessarily do. And that's not as I say, not saying that Silva can't do a job for us because um, I'm pretty much quite happy to see him against Leicester come uh, weekend um, but if Foden starts equally as happy I thought just as a team performance yesterday obviously De Bruyne was the standout performance but as a team I thought it was exactly what we haven't been doing so far this season we've had glimpses of it through games but not necessarily something that we've done in terms of tracking back and closing players down and filling the space and creating space for other players but that being said I think Arsenal's poor performance, if we can say that, because they did uh, look, you know, they were going to score first um, yesterday. Yeah. Um, Takes some of our weaknesses away from us in terms of Otamendi. Had a a couple of blips yesterday in terms of what he was doing at the back. Took it to the corner when there was whinging at Wild Walker. They're saying he wasn't close enough. Um, But other teams may have capitalised on that. I think one of, for me, one of the main things yesterday was one shot, one goal. Two shots, two goals. Uh, what was it? First you game read of the my season. tweet then. Yeah, I must have. <laughs> um, I think it was the first game of the season was where we had 30-odd shots and then the same with Norwich where we lost. You know, We had 20-odd shots and we just weren't putting them away. And that, for me, was one of the best things yesterday. Don't get me wrong, De Bruyne was excellent, but the fact that as a team we're scoring and we seem to have found uh, our shooting boots again, hopefully that's going to continue throughout Christmas. Two subjects within what you've just said which are worth exploring separately. So let's start with Arsenal. I know this is a City podcast, but... After the Burnley game, uh, I must admit I came back from Turf Moor saying they are dreadful, Burnley. As much as I admired the City performance and thought they were excellent, you couldn't fault them. And of course, that old cliche of you can only beat what's in front of you is is particularly valid. But I did look at Burnley and think they are poor. Um, They then got beat 5-0 by Tottenham in their next outing, which tended to prove my point. And City, of course, lost in the derby. Um, So it did temper slightly my view of the City performance I look at the Arsenal performance and I can't quite decide whether Arsenal were terrible or City were brilliant or it's a combination I don't know where I sit with that one because because I've been so many times to Arsenal Mm. and seen us thumped I can't get that out of my head and I do think well hang on a minute this was Arsenal this isn't Burnley you know so what do you think I mean what did you are Arsenal a you know, a bit of a, of, a, of a team in crisis at the moment, so anybody would have beaten them, or was City particularly exceptional? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's probably the worst um, Arsenal team that I've seen for a very, very long time. Um, Arsenal are in a crisis at the moment, and I don't think anyone would dispute that. Um, I think Arsenal, yeah, they were very poor. Um, coming back to our performance, I know Tony mentioned it, Um Personally, I don't think Mendy's been the same since his injury. Yeah, mm. I know he had a ma- major injury um, a few seasons ago and he used to bomb up and down. He doesn't do that anymore. It's very 
sideways and backwards. I mean, I love retaining possession of the ball, but sometimes you need that burst. And even though Zinchenko only came on for a bit, as soon as he got it, he was looking forward. He was being positive. So me personally now, I take Zinchenko in that position. Everyone's opinion's different. And I think I've, met, I've watched Mendy, sometimes it's, it's an off game, but I feel like I've watched him enough now to think that, is he going to be that same player that he that he was? Has this injury really affected him? I mean, again, that's my opinion. Um, the, yeah, Kevin De Bruyne was absolutely out of this world. He was fantastic. Um, I mean... I suppose what I'm saying is, was he allowed to be fantastic? Not to demean what Kevin De Bruyne did, because it was Arsenal and they were poor. Yeah. Are you confident that, in other words, that when City play Leicester next weekend, who are clearly in form and are playing very well at the moment, albeit that they drew at the weekend, that will presumably be a bigger test and yeah. a bigger indication as to whether City are really back yeah. to, to, to top quality again. Yeah, 100%. I think the problems um, we faced against United, I saw them in the first minute against Arsenal. Mm. It's very easy this season for teams to come at us. Last season, we weren't this open and within a minute, I thought Arsenal could score here. And then we went down the other side and scored. And I think it was a mixture of both. They, we, they tried to press us. We broke that press and then the space came. Then De Bruyne, De Bruyne showed his class. So again, yeah, it was a mixture of both. Um, Arsenal then were open. Um, but I think it's interesting to know, you know, we had 52% possession of the ball against um, Arsenal. However, we had 72% against United. And... I watched Pep's uh, press conference yesterday, I was interviewed one of the two, and he, and he said in there that we played better against United. And you know what? To some degree, I agree with him. I think, yeah, we were fantastic, we were clinical, we scored, but we know City for retaining possession of that ball, keeping the football, and then having the burst of Sterling and De Bruyne running at defences. But I still feel like yesterday we're not at that level yet. Um... And I think Leicester's going to be the bigger test. You know that, that, that if there were fans of other teams who were a lot more cynical rather than us being a group of City fans sitting in a in a studio. Thanks very much, by the way, to Tameside Radio for providing that studio. But instead of being quite as, uh, I don't know, positive as we're trying to be, there will be cynics of other teams saying, 72 possessions, so what? It's all about how many goals you score. And the fact is that at Arsenal, City scored goals against United. Yes, uh, they scored a goal, but they didn't dominate the game scoring-wise as they did at Arsenal. So, you know, it, it, you know, the cynic would say, pretty football, lots of possession, doesn't count for anything. You know, uh, United won by counter-attacking. Uh, Newcastle, if you look at the statistics of that game, yeah. City's possession rate was, was huge in that game. I think Newcastle, correct me if I'm wrong, but even if I'm wrong, it won't be far wrong. Uh, the Newcastle, Newcastle probably had two shots, three shots in the game, scored two goals. So those statistics, while they're interesting, do they really count for anything? Yeah, because I think last season we were beat, we were beating teams and keeping the ball and in the 100-point season as well. I think, like I said before, it's easier for teams to come at us, to come at us now. I think that's where the problem lies. And I think, I don't know where that's coming from. There was a bit of a hole in midfield yesterday. Arsenal did get through a couple of times. Yes, we were brilliant, we were clinical. But I want to see now the possession 
and being um, ruthless in front of goal like we were last season and the season before that. Um, yeah. Well, here's a question that might lead on from what you've just been saying there, where, which is on behalf of Harlan, who's not here tonight, but he did ask me to uh, bring up the subject of Ilkay Gundogan, who, uh, who is one of those players that, that seems to split opinions. And I know that, Tony, you've been talking about sort of these, you know, talking about opinions. Last week, I labelled a podcast, Are We Allowed to Criticise Pep? Um, which in itself, uh, you know, it gets people reacting and saying, mm. what, what are you asking that for? That's being very negative. And all I'm asking is the question. Uh, Ilkay Gundogan is a player who... When the city don't city don't play well and don't win, always seems to be the one that, that, that yeah. And and I can think back to previous eras, which obviously the the younger members of the squad here tonight might not think about. But you know Richard Edgill, who's, who's a lovely fella who I see at, at City games and who's an absolute blue through and through. Love him to bits. He got stick whether it was unfair or fair in his era whenever the City team wasn't playing badly and I, I don't mean to particularly pick out Richard but you know that there have been players it might have been George Samaros in another another era you know there have been different players that have been the scapegoat is it fair that first of all the criticism that Ilkay Gundogan has got how did he play at Arsenal is a secondary question you know and, and having scapegoats is that just an inevitable part of being a football fan yeah I think it is I think for me in terms of Players, football's about opinions, and this is one of the things that always kind of winds me up in terms of um, the social media opinion, city Twitter, I suppose, um, is it's very opinionated of, well, if you don't think this, you can't be a fan, or if you don't agree with this, then don't follow me, and things like that. And part and parcel of football for me is not necessarily, is going to the games, and I'll support every player regardless. I support City in that sense, but coming away from the game and we're talking and like we do on this podcast and we talk we're going to critique players that have done something bad like I did before about Otamendi when he took the ball into our own corner and um, when we were 2-0 up and it was like well if they get a goal then things can change here but you know I thought Otamendi actually had a good game overall yesterday but that was just a mistake and that's the critique that I'm having on it and uh, you said before in terms of Mendy now for me personally my opinion is that Mendy, from what I saw before he was injured and the cameos he's done before he was injured, he looked the part. But at the moment, this season, he's had probably two good games, I'd say. And then other than that, he's looked a bit rusty, dodgy crosses, not tracking back. Um, So he's yet to improve. But I think that's also part and parcel of his recovery. So come next season, if he can stay fully fit after this season, I think we'll see the Mendy that we originally signed. But I'm still going to be critiquing him if he's, you know, putting balls going out of play on the other end when he's trying to cross it into the box. And he has done that quite a lot this season. But as I say, personally, I think that's just rustiness. But at the same time, I'm going to critique him. Now, Ilkey yesterday, uh, Silky Ilkey, I thought he had a good game. My criticism of Ilkey has never been um, that he's not good enough to be in a City shirt. My critique has always been his consistency because we can have the best Ilkey one game and then the worst in the next game. Now, whether that you can argue that he's, well, he's playing different positions, so he's got a change and he does have a harder job in that sense, but at the same time, he's in that position because Pep thinks he's the best option to start in that position. So I expect to see him better than Rodri if he's playing over Rodri or him better than David if he's playing over David, for example. Um, so, yeah, I think it's OK to criticise players. I think that's part and parcel of football. Um, and, yeah, I just found that 
the social media hype all around a lot of this stuff is well if you disagree with me you don't know what you're talking about football when realistically it's just opinions that's all the football's down to but for yesterday um i do think that arsenal if they if it was 2-1 and arsenal um got in and they got that goal and like, it could have been a different game obviously but I think one of the big parts that helped us yesterday was the mass exodus the crowd just disappeared and that just if the players aren't going to play for example if we take the derby and I know it's a derby so if we try and just take the fact that it is a derby out of it but if people had left and I know some people did but if we left in our droves in the thousands of thousands would we have got that last goal probably not because it was a crowd that mm-hmm. kind of pile on and give them that extra momentum and I think that would play a factor towards the last 20, half, 20 minutes to half an hour yesterday today and uh, I think it also kind of coincides with we were pretty poor in the first 10-15 minutes of the second half and then as that exodus happened we grew back into the game um, but I don't know Will's looking at me slightly strange so he might disagree with me there go on Will uh, <laughs> Ilkay Gundogan scapegoats what do you think um, well I think my thought on the scapegoats well with Gundogan maybe <coughs> Jekko as well is the problem with Gundogan, especially last season, he wasn't De Bruyne, Silva or Fernandinho. And we'd, we'd established them as our three. They were our three midfielders. They're, they are the best midfield we've ever seen. And when Gundogan came in, he wasn't one of those three. So any sort of mistake that De Bruyne or Silva may have normally made during a game, if Gundogan makes it, it just gets picked up that extra bit sharper because he's not this one of the starting three. And I think it was the same with Edin Dzeko as well. When he used to play for us, it was... And, and Gabriel almost gets the same thing now. Or oh, Sergio would have scored that. He just constantly gets compared to the player who's higher above him in the pecking order. And it's so unfair, really, because the different players. Gundogan's, Gundogan's a world-class midfielder, and I think he'd get in the starting eleven of pretty much any other Premier League team. Mm. So I think the fact that he doesn't start for doesn't mean he's a good player. It just he hasn't always fitted into what Pep wanted at that moment. But then when he does come in, he, he does a job. You know, he played. I think he played very well from what I saw of him yesterday. Um, I, he, I wonder whether he and maybe even Kevin De Bruyne have benefited from somehow being released into more positive roles. Because I, yeah. Gundogan, had, uh, uh, towards the end of last season when Fernandinho was injured and he was playing in that central defensive midfield area, um, played it very well, but was obviously quite restricted in, in what he could do. Whereas with Rodri sitting in front of the back four, I know we've had the debate about whether it should be Fernandinho, but we'll part that for now. But the fact that Rodri is in that position allowed Gundogan to be a little freer. I mean, obviously, you've got to take into account Arsenal and their midfield, which seemed to be a little lacking. And I wouldn't really pick anybody out of that Arsenal midfielder, midfield who would play well or even would be a name I'd recognise these days. So, so I think that's a factor too. But I thought Gundogan's freedom... And Kevin De Bruyne was almost playing as a third striker um, and instead of being almost restricted by playing deeper. And I thought both of them benefited from that. Well, that's one of the things that impressed me yesterday more so than some of the other games we played this season was how our front three were interchanging like they did when um, Sane last season with Sterling. They'd switch wings, they'd move about. Um, G- uh, Aguero would switch with them as well. So sometimes you'd be looking, you'd be like, Aguero on the right wing and you've got Sterling in the middle and Sane on the left. And that was very the same yesterday that for some of the game, even the first goal, for example, it was Jesus on the left to De Bruyne in the yeah. middle. Um, and I know you wanted to park for 
Fernandinho, but that first goal came from Fernandinho yeah. stepping up from centre-half into the midfield to Jesus and then over. So again, it does lend weight to the argument of him being in midfield, but then to counter that, I would say, well, sh he should be doing that more often and the more he becomes comfortable as a centre-back, he will start doing it the same way company used to. He would step up, go on those little runs, see if he can create space and then pop back and know his spot in that sense. Um, but I really enjoyed seeing that part of Fernandinho's game because he does seem to be growing into that centre-back role now. Right, let's move it on to Phil Foden, uh, because obviously he started that game, his second Premier League start. Uh, everybody been crying out for that to happen. Um, the positivity among the fans I spoke to on the pre-match vlog uh, were all absolutely, you know, here he is, finally, let's, let's see him get his chance. He got his chance, I thought he played very well. I wouldn't say he was exceptional, I wouldn't say he was poor, I would say he played very well. Uh, in, <clears throat> there's also been a debate, I've noticed, about, um, you know, the the conclusion that a lot of fans have had or the, the way that they've thought about it is that Foden is the natural successor to David Silva, inferring that he would play in the David Silva role um, and now it seems that maybe we're starting to look at him, and correct me if I'm wrong in a slightly different way, almost as a as another attacker or as a, as a wide man. Um, give me your thoughts on Phil Foden. He, he played there for England, didn't he? He was a right winger for England when he was um, top scorer at the Youth World Cup. So it seems like that is his natural position, but the City fans have designated him Silva's replacement, so we automatically imagine he's going to be in the, the three. But no, he, he looks he looks fast. He looks, looks like he can take people on. He looks like a winger. I mean, he started the game, Raheem Sterling played on the right and Foden played on the left. And I, I've been saying that Raheem Sterling should be on the right. And that's per personally where I prefer to see him. Um, and I, although I don't think Raheem pulled any trees up yesterday, um, I, I thought he looked a little bit more happy being on that side. But that's just me. Maybe it's just me projecting my opinion onto what I was looking at. But Foden was playing on the left-hand side, and I thought mm, that quite suits him as well. And and it reminds you, if you needed reminding, how much Sane's lost has been because obviously last season it was Aguero down the middle, Sterling on the right, Sane on the left, and that worked really well. So is there a new solution? And if the solution is that uh, that Foden's going to play regularly, and if he's going to play on the left-hand side and Sterling's going to keep his place, what happens then to Riyad Mahrez? What happens to Bernardo Silva, who's been operating a lot on that right-hand side? Is that going to does that mean that they're the t the players who lose out? Personally, I think the natural successor to David Silva is Bernardo Silva. In all honesty, I think Phil Foden. He's going to be a star, He's going to, but he's still very young. Now, the argument is he needs game time. Now, do you guys think that sending him out on loan would be beneficial for no. him to get that more game time? Or do you think he deserves it in a City shirt? Personally, I think both options are good, but can we fit him in the team currently? And is he going to give them star performances? And is he going to be consistent? But the only way to find out is to give him that game time. Um, I thought he played well. I agree with you. I don't think he was exceptional. I don't think he was completely world class. He showed glimpses of some amazing stuff. I think for the, um, was it the De Bruyne goal where he kind of went past a few and then he, and he passed it. I think that, that's giving us glimpses of what he's about. He didn't get as many touches in the first half when he was over on the other side. <coughs> um, I think... 
I think he's 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 going to be a player. He's going to be a player to watch out for. But I still think he's very very young at the moment. And saying that, um, Jadon Sancho, who obviously was at City, yeah. came through the youth setup, gone to Dortmund, um, now has registered, I think, as being the most assists combined with goals in any top league this season, which is very impressive. Um, there's now talk of, of him making a move, move back to the Premier League, possibly even with City. He's 19, he's the same age as Phil Foden. Now, some might say that the reason why uh, Sancho has been allowed to develop is because he's had first-team football at Dortmund and the cynical side might be that Dortmund are not as good as City uh, or not playing the same level of City every week, even though, of course, they're in the Champions League last 16, just like City. So I'm throwing a few different things in there, but the point I wanted to make really was that he's the same age as Foden uh, but he seems to be further along the course. And yeah, and like you said, that's because <coughs> the reason that he's gone out on loan and he's getting that game time and the only way you can improve is on the pitch. You have to perform. And I think Foden needs that. The question now is, is that going to be at City or is that going to be somewhere elsewhere? Um, I honestly think he would benefit going to another club for a short period of time and then coming back. I think that that would be a good idea. Where, where would you? Who who would you send him to? Who's the who's the ideal club for Phil Foden to go on loan to? Ooh, that's that's a, that's a good question. Um, I don't. I want to see him at a big club. I wouldn't want to see him to go to an average Premier League team. I think abroad would be good. Um, I think somewhere like Bayern or Dortmund would be a good shout. Um, but I just think at the moment, like we. I just don't think he's ready for City yet, personally. I just don't think he's quite got it, if I'm going to be completely honest. And I'd be much more comfortable after David Silva leaves at the end of the season for Bernardo Silva to take over his position because... I th- I'm, I'm going to admit I, Bernardo Silva is world class he's a, he's a joy to watch on the pitch and yet at Arsenal Bernardo Silva didn't start but neither did David so if, if Bernardo is the natural successor to David surely he would have played in the Arsenal game in that position yeah but I think sometimes Pep changes it around he rotates it seeing where different people are going to be suited I think he's done that a few times um, and I suppose that's the only way to find out but for me honestly Bernardo Silva is going to be the natural successor what do you guys think? Well, I mean, a few points in there, I think. Uh, Foden's not going anywhere. Um, <laughs> he's uh, staying at City. I don't think sending him out on loan will do him any good, uh, simply because I don't think that, A, there's a better coach out there that's going to get or improve him yeah, any more yeah, than yeah. Pep can. And, B, in terms of players to learn from, I don't think, in terms of a full squad, there are any world better squads than what we've got for him to learn from. I couldn't tell you. For me, De Bruyne, I know you know the uh, scouts lot will say Mane and Silo, etc. But for me, De Bruyne has been and is one of the best Premier Premier League uh, midfielders. Um, for him to learn from him, David, who's been a legend over the last ten years, um, and even Bernardo, he is world class. I'm not going to disagree with you on that one. But to learn from these players, doesn't matter where we send him. I just don't think he's going to get that experience. And I think Pep's, you know, it's one of those. Jaden Sancho and uh, Phil Foden are obviously the different people, but they're two different stories because one is a lifelong City fan and one isn't. So one is patient and will live, you know, and do what the club want him to do and seems to be happy to do that. And the other one was at the club for his development, got what he wanted, um, and you know, got him that 
stature really that he was able to then go on to Dortmund whereas if he was at for example and this is no disrespect to Watford but if he was at Watford's uh, youth yeah. would they have spotted him would they have scouted him probably not so in terms of his career path he's done the right thing for him and uh, Phil is doing what every you know every one of us as a City fan grew up wishing and dreaming about was putting on that blue shirt and walking out onto the pitch and you know looking at the idols that you've idolised so for me um, he's definitely in the right spot to develop um, he deserved his start yesterday because of his performance uh, in midweek in the Champions League and I think he gave us exactly what we wanted um, in out of the team I mean he was creating space he was making a nuisance of himself he was tracking back um, so from that perspective I think that he had a good game did it, we didn't tell trees in that sense you know we were all waxing lyrical about Kevin because of how good Kevin is in the game that he had so um, obviously he didn't have the he didn't have a bad game I'm not saying he did but for me as I say Phil he's in the right space is he David's successor um, I don't think we're necessarily going to have a David Silva successor anymore um, Dav- David Silva was through different managers and then under Pep found uh, you know kept that one spot whereas Pep never generally has the front three the same front three I know yeah. we've had Sterling on the left quite a lot because of Sane's injured but if we had a fully fit squad I think we'd have one week Foden on the right and then maybe in the middle and Bernardo on the right because that's what Pep likes he likes to keep the opposition guessing so yeah. is he, are they going to line up like this can they interchange so I'd be interested to see more of Phil in games um, but do I start him every game now over David Silva definitely not would you start him he's not... against Leicester Um Yes, I would start him against Leicester, um, but that depends if he plays against Oxford. He's going to play, play ninety minutes against. Oxford. If he plays yeah. the ninety minutes exactly. against Oxford, potentially not because um, in his post-match um, interview that he did with Sky yesterday, he was saying that you know uh, Pep noticed his legs had gone and had to take him off and that side of it, and that was from playing midweek, and you know that comes down to not playing every week, so. If he plays, you know, 60 to 90 minutes uh, against Oxford, then no, I'd rather see David against uh, Leicester or even Bernardo back there, as I say. Yeah. I, do, I think for me, that's been one of the issues with Bernardo. I think it is tired legs, but on last season was he wasn't out on the wings because we had the options and he plays a lot better in the middle than he does on the wings for me. All right, well, that, that's, that's a look back at Arsenal and a little bit of a discussion about Phil Ford and we'll come on to... Uh, Oxford, um, and we'll turn to look ahead to the Leicester game a little bit later on. Today has been, uh, as we sit here, as I say, on the Monday evening, has been the Champions League draw. So City have, have drawn Real Madrid. Uh, we knew that the the first leg of the game would be uh, away in Madrid, and the second leg would be back in Manchester, which is the advantage of winning the group. It's perhaps staggering to think that Real Madrid finished second in their group because we'd be used to them winning their group. Yeah. And actually, when you look at the way that the draw was, um, it wasn't quite a split 50-50. You know, you didn't think, well, thank goodness we won the, late, the, the our, our group because all the other teams looked quite beatable. And if you'd have come second, you wouldn't have thought, ah, those are all tough because I think it was a lot more balanced. I mean, I thought Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid... Uh, certainly were were tough opponents. Borussia Dortmund was a tough opponent. Leon uh, and it was the other team. Uh, Napoli were the were the teams that we could have drawn. I think the three, uh, the two Madrids and Borussia Dortmund, would have all been tough. Uh, but we've got Real Madrid. That's how it is. Um, just on a side issue uh, for those who are trying to go to the game. 
I noticed that um, my mate who I travel with tried to book flights to Madrid from Manchester straight after the draw, uh, and he had them at one stage, and when they got onto the second page of the booking page, it had gone up about five times in price. So uh, so we're going via Alicante, um, <laughs> and uh, I think driving then uh, from Alicante to Madrid, so an interesting circumspect route anyway, and that's another thing. Anyway, that's the draw. First of all, let's get an immediate reaction to that draw. Would that is that the one you wanted to avoid are you, there's some optimism out there how, how do you feel about the draw I think some very good teams in Europe at the moment I think Atletico are good Dortmund are good Real Madrid are really good as when, well when you had the five to choose from Nabil wh- yeah. who would you have had out of them five <sighs> would it have been Real Madrid no of course not it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been Real Madrid but you know what If like you said it is what it is now we've got Real Madrid we have to now look forward to how we're going to tackle because I think the prem, the Premier League now it's 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 not looking good, is it? We have to focus on Europe. We we've accepted it is Real Madrid, um, and if we want to if we want to be the best in Europe, we have to beat the best in Europe. It's as simple as that, and that's the way I see it. And I think we're capable of doing it. Um, will uh, Laporte be back in time? It's touch and go, but touch I would have thought there's a chance to be back by yeah, then. I think that's imperative. Um, and I think over two legs. Um, home leg second. Yeah, it's, it's funny you see playing the home leg second because sometimes you think that, obviously with the away goal rule, um, if, you, if you, in the second leg, if you score away goals, the more you score, the, the games, you've got a high chance of going through. But I think uh, you, it's nice to be at home as well at the same time. Um, that has its pros and cons. But personally, my reaction to the game is bring on Madrid. We've 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 got to we've got to relish it, and I think Europe is the one. And I think this is the season now. We have to go for it. So there's a regular listener to this podcast who interacts with me a lot on social yeah. media called Carl, who's an American uh, City fan, who said who's he's really got a bee in his bonnet about the fact that City fans boo the anthem and that that sets the wrong tone. So he wants everybody to come along to the Etihad to get in full voice behind the team, not to boo the anthem, and feels that that could make, or in his case probably would say will make the difference yeah. for City going through. Do you believe that? Do you, do, how do you feel? as You're a newbie on the podcast. Yeah, I was at do, you, the... do, you, do you boo the anthem, by the way? No, I don't, no. I was, at, I, was at the Spurs, I was at the Spurs game last season, the Champions League one, and I was at the um, Liverpool one the season before. And I have to say that Spurs atmosphere was probably... One of the best atmospheres I've been to at the Etihad. Um, would you agree with me on that, Ian? It was a good atmosphere. It was a very and, good... And, and, the, and there was a booing in that. So I don't think, personally, where I disagree with Carl, I mean, there's a lot of things that he says which are, which are fine, but this is one I disagree with him about because uh, whilst I don't boo um, and and have never booed, uh, I completely understand why City fans boo. There are s- several different reasons why they do it. So I, And I think you're perfectly entitled to, to do that if that's what you want to do. And there are much m- worse ways that people could protest. So booing an anthem is yeah. hardly the worst it's thing. It's not just a City thing now. We're seeing it across the Champions yeah, League. Barcelona do it, don't Barcelona, they? Barcelona, um, I think it was Bayern Munich as well in another game. Yeah, um, it's growing yeah. and kind of that says a lot more you know, about... UEFA Champions League and that side of it than it does about the fans because it's not the competition that people are booing, it's generally UEFA and what is perceived as um, either corruption or kind of apathy or the lack of um, seriousness towards racism 
um, especially in some of the Eastern European uh, clubs. Um, you know, for a lot of City fans, the fact that we got fined more than uh, for coming out a minute late than the CSKA fans did for you know monkey chance at Yaya, which is disgraceful. Um, so there's a lots of reasons for booing, and to be fair, I completely really agree with every one of them. But personally, I don't boo um, simply because. I don't want the misconception that I'm not booing our players, but that's just my mentality of that. I just want to go to a game and I like to generally try and, even though I'm quite a pessimist, I like to try and be as positive as I can when I get to the games because I don't go thinking we're going to lose in that sense. I want to go with that attitude, but I completely understand why people boo it. So Nabil's saying, come on, bring them on. What about you two? Just in a couple of words about Real Madrid. Are you, do you fancy this one? I think once it got given, once I saw the draw and you start sort of thinking about it and looking into their past results... I did get a little bit more confident because obviously like they've had some results like Bruges. Bruges got a, a draw at the Bernabeu, uh, a couple of other games where they looked a bit dodgy. But my my main point, I think, is the past couple of years in the Champions League, we've actually had quite an easy run, really, Yeah. in terms of like the, the round of 16, the quarterfinal games. We've actually always avoided the teams that we didn't want, but that never got us anywhere anyway. <laughs> so it'd be nice to think that if we can beat a big team in the very first knockout round... That would give us the impetus, the momentum to say, right, we can do this. I, if think, we that was, I think that was to send a statement out to Europe as exactly. well, wouldn't it? If you can beat Madrid in the round of 16, you can beat anyone really. So Love that positivity. Do you share it, Mr Pessimist? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny because when it comes to the Champions League, I used to, right, when's the draw, who are we getting, who could we get? And I used to be, oh, I really want these, I really want these. But then I've changed slightly over the last couple of years because I genuinely have this belief and faith in Pep and the club that no matter who we get, I know how we're going to play. I know it will generally be the best squad we have available, you know, injuries allowing. Um, and I know what we're going to expect on the pitch. <coughs> Whereas in years gone by, you know, for example, last time we had Real Madrid with Pellegrini, I think it was. Um, and, you know, that was such a boring game to go there. Whereas now yeah. with Pep, I know we're going to go there and we're actually going to try and win. We're going to play attacking football. We're going to, um, and obviously he's got his Barcelona connection, so it adds a bit more fiery uh, fierceness to the match as well. So for me, um, um, no, I don't fear going there. And uh, I mean, it was a scouser that said this to me today. But apparently, we're favourites as well for the Champions League at thirteen to four um, to win it, which surprised me because of our injuries. I didn't expect us to be, but I think that's you know, Bucky's making predictions. Pep's going to go all out for it this year. Um, but no, I'd rather play them now than lose to them in a final or anything like that. I'd rather get them out of the way, get onto the next one. And as I say, I've just got. Come the games, I'll be nervous and I'll be like, well, we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot, typical city and things like that. But in terms of who we draw, for me, I know that how Pep is and that how we're going to play. So that gives me that bit of confidence no matter who we have these days. I'm looking forward to the trip anyway. It's lovely City Madrid. <laughs> uh, right, here's a, here's a subsidiary um, subject that comes from that because it was already being talked about before the draw was made. Uh, there is this continuing uh, dialogue about whether or not there's one day going to be a European Super League. Uh, there is a suggestion that by 2024, the Champions League could be extended. Um, I think it's sometime next year that the next meeting of UEFA is when they're going to discuss this. And some of the big clubs, it's suggested that the six big English clubs, including City, um, are for this, which is to expand the group stage to 10 games rather than six that we play at the moment. It would be ten different opponents, so you would play five teams at home, five teams away, 
different five teams, obviously. And then you would go into the new year with the, the knockout stage, which then would have the knock-on effect of uh, cutting back on FA Cup replays, uh, League Cup would be affected by it as well, two-leg semi-finals, etc., to squeeze all these extra fixtures in. But the, the benefit to clubs like City would be a lot of extra revenue coming in from Champions League, both in terms of gates, but more lucrative, really, probably, from television deals. There is even a bigger ambition by some clubs, and I don't know if City are involved in this, of, in, of actually withdrawing from your domestic league into a European Super League, uh, which would then mean that City would not be involved in the Premier League or domestic stuff. I mean, this is far less drawn, so nobody knows exactly what the details of that would be. Uh, I know we're a City podcast, but Fergie, Alex Ferguson, dead against the expansion of even the Champions League. Um, I, I wonder, and, and here we have an interesting panel because we've got two two youngsters in the 20s who, who and I was particularly determined that when we were talking about this tonight that we didn't have an average age or a, 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 of older so that you would get the what some people would perceive to be the inevitable answer of, I don't want change because I'm old and I'm stuck in my ways. You, you are youngsters. You're not stuck in your ways. Bring on the change. So tell me what you think of the proposal. Let's start with the, the straightforward one, the one that looks more likely if it's going to happen, to 10 Champions League games against 10 different opponents instead of the format we have at the moment. It just feels like... So all the complaints City fans had over, you know, financial fair play over the past couple of years, you know, shutting the drawbridge behind you, cutting off the competition, making it a cartel of the big clubs and only the big clubs. It just feels like we're going down that path and yet we're we're on the wrong side of it and I don't like it. And it's not the fact that I don't like change. I just want to make sure that it's not this big club cartel where they're the ones getting all the money. What Basically what the Premier League was back in... 93 wasn't it it was a, it was a cutaway the, the, the big clubs wanted more money for themselves so they, they buggered off and I don't want to be in that same position as, as, as the club that that separated you know domestic football from European football it, I don't I don't like the sounds of it so are you, are you saying that um, just on this 10 for, to, you, mean you can bring mm -hmm. in the, the sort of complete breakaway if you want but just on this 10 you, that's not something you're in favour of it just feels like it's a way for UEFA to make sure that United and AC Milan and big teams who may not have qualified by the normal means, <coughs> they still get to play in European competition just to keep the prestige up. It just feels like that. Oh, well, let's expand it to six teams. We don't know. I don't know this for an absolute fact, but if the rumours are to be believed that City are one of the instigators in the Premier League, how do you feel about that? Are, are you happy that City are pushing this agenda forward? No, I'm disappointed because, like, like a just said it's it, it's it feels like everything we fought against 10 years ago when we were the little club trying to join the big clubs now we're a big club we're saying ah yeah that's okay so no i don't interesting like what about you namil yeah completely i think will summed it up perfectly there like 10 years ago when city weren't weren't a big club um and now we just to go in favor of it i, I personally i'm i'm a traditionalist on this um i like to keep i like to also focus on domestic football i think having 10 games that idea in the extra in champions league i just think it'll take a toll on the other competitions and then will it come to a point where the champion the champions league is going to take i don't know take precedence over the league because i personally think the league is a better measure of a team's capability because over th a 38 game period i think that shows what a team is capable of and I think the away goal, goal rule impacts in you um in Europe as well so honestly me personally 
just to play devil's advocate on that one, obviously. I'll you play yeah. my role. I'm now. playing your role here, just because of what you said there about the league. So if it's a European Super League, then everyone plays across the whole season, and it's exactly what you were just saying. So it would give you the best team. Um, obviously, I'll pipe in with what I think in a moment, but I'll just be interested to see what you've just said about the Premier League will be what is Europe. So it won't be a cup competition; well, it will be a league. But who gets who gets to be in the Super League then? Yeah. Is it is it the best? Clubs in Europe, because really that's five teams from England, five teams from Germany, five teams from Spain, and a couple from. What, what about the other clubs which we were <coughs> once were? Like yeah. what we were saying, I think that's where the argument is. Are we, so are we competing against the champions of Hungary? Like I still want to win on a wet on a wet cold Wednesday night in Stoke and batter them four nil, and at the same time beat Real Madrid on a Tuesday night in in sunny Spain. It's I think we need to get the balance right as well. I'm a big fan of domestic football, but again I think it comes down to like. I, I still think the league's a better measure of a team's capabilities. Yeah, well, I mean, to be honest, I, I agree. I'm just <coughs> interested in the terms of yeah. uh, the league side of it. Um, but for me, I think it's just plain and simply protectionism. Yeah. Um, we've got it, One of the, from what I've read, one of the um, organising the spearheads of this is AC Milan. And they've not won the Serie A in over five years. They've yeah. not even been in top three for four years. So them trying to push for something that's then going to give them more money and kind of that prestige and keep them in the limelight, it is just protectionism. The same way we only had one spot until United dropped to second and then we got two spots in the Champions League. I just think for me, if you're going to change the Champions League, here's what you have to do. And uh, if he's listening, old um, <laughs> Seferin, um, this is what you need to do is go back plain and simple personally I'd get rid of the pots and the seeding and the coefficients and all that rubbish because it should be simply as this it's the Champions League the champions of the leagues play each other and it's a knockout competition you can draw anybody you can get anybody that way you're playing the best you're not then waiting until less quarter. games though it no, might be less games that, but you're going to get gonna vote for that? better games you're going to get more engagement I don't from disagree fans. with but who's going to vote for that let's be realistic here Tommy if you ask the fans I think a lot the fans majority what do the fans <laughs> count for? Listen, the clubs, the clubs yeah, want to yeah. bring money in. Yeah. They, they want to get TV. Money. They want more money. What? It's like the turkeys voting for Christmas. Who is going to say, no, no, no. You know how we've got um, six group games uh, at the moment? UEFA want to bring in 10, so they want to expand it by four. And all these big clubs, maybe City as well, are rubbing hands together going, great, more exposure, more more TV coverage, more gate receipts, more money from television. They're not going to go, no, 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 we'll just have two knockout rounds before Christmas. And if we get knocked out in the first round, we've got nothing. Who's going to vote for that? It's one of those, though, because we've got, what, how many leagues in Europe? About 20, if we include Russia, we've got 30-odd there in total. So there's enough games to go around. And again, it's quality over quantity because, uh, sorry, quantity over quality because you're getting, for example, City-Real Madrid might be an opening game. So, A, you're going to get increased viewing figures. B, you'll be able to increase what you're paying in advertising or charging advertisers to get for. So there's money there. It's all about the certain clubs that want to protect the money that they're getting because their current performance isn't matching where they were and they want to keep that prestige it's nothing to do and it's well it is slightly to do with UEFA in terms of how much money they want to make out of it because they're just looking at another cash cow but for the most part as I say if you want a Champions League for me one of the biggest jokes in the Champions League is the fact that you've got a club like Ajax who won their league got through to the semi-final of the Champions League and then this season they still had to qualify even though they won their league for the Champions League and then you've got other clubs that can finish third or second have automatic entry it is not a Champions League the whole system for me it is a glorified FA Cup um, I really I'd, in its current format I've 
if they were to change it, then I probably wouldn't continue. I would follow City to the end of the earth. But at the same time, if they were to change it, I wouldn't necessarily be queuing up to go and get a ticket for that game simply because I disagree with changing it. So you're, that su- way. you're suggesting the old European Cup, so yeah. only the champions of each team goes in, straight knockout. Champions and maybe you could have runners-up if you want to expand it in terms of the amount of games and groups and stuff like that. But then you can still do groups, but you get rid of the pots. So you might have a group with Barcelona, Real Madrid. Others. Whoa, 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 that's two out the same league. OK, then you might have a squad with Bayern. <laughs> Munich, Real Madrid, PSG and City for example and that would be and a then another one with the Finnish champions the Dutch champions do, but then that is pot luck you know and we all get all oh, City get the easiest draws but it is pot luck it's a draw so here's the other side of that one right City getting a group with uh, I don't know uh, the, the, the Swiss champions the fin- no insults to these countries of course <laughs> Swiss champions the Finnish champions and and uh, I don't know the, oh, the, the Belgian champions, champions yeah. right Who's going to attend those games? I mean, you know, City at the moment, if we're being really honest, in these Champions League uh, group games, might be different against Real Madrid, but against Shakhtar Donetsk, against Atalanta, um, I, I can't say this for, for certain, but it feels to me as if there were lots of freebie tickets, there were lots of discounted, heavily discounted tickets and lots of encouragement for people. Um, I think one of them was in the half-term holiday and I remember as I walked around doing the vlog there were lots of kids and lots of families if you if you're playing the Finnish champions, if you're playing, who's gonna who you're gonna have to give We've the tickets there. away? That. We did that in the Europa League. We've you know played for our islands and whatever else, and we sold the tickets. We struggle midweek, regardless of whether it's Champions League, FA Cup, Carabao Cup, or a rearranged fixture, just because it's midweek and everybody has commitments, lifestyles, and things like that. It's nothing to do with the fact that it's who you're playing. Most fans, if they could, um, would go every game, regardless of who they're playing. But unfortunately, you know, I say unfortunately, you know, lucky we, we all have lives in that sense. But, you know, lives take over. Some people have, you know, kids to get to school or family businesses to run, etc. So midweek games are always a struggle. It doesn't matter who we're playing or when we're playing. Um, you know, we've had, went under Stuart Pearce, for example, you know, all all year without a win we still turned up we still went to games but you know midweek ones have always been a struggle however you do know that Real Madrid will be sold out and that will be a midweek game maybe in, in, um, in March maybe you know, when the weather might not be great because I've seen again Barcelona this year in the Champions League where they've not sold out the stadium and there is a growing apathy in, you know obviously we're going into the latter stages of the uh, competition so it's like for example if we got through to a semi-final at home, you can't get a ticket. If you're in the group stages at home midweek, you can get a ticket. And that's the same with most clubs. As soon as you get to those latter stages, um, the points hall or whoever, you know, the touts, they're all there trying to get through the tickets because they're the games they can either re-get more money on or yeah. they're the important games. It's like, you know, those fans that we said about the derby, that you have certain fans that will only go to top six games and ignore the rest of them and use the ticket on the ticket exchange. It's, you know, for me, it's one of those that it doesn't matter where you're going, it depends on the stage and, you know, fans are fans across the world, everyone's got their own uh, lives to go on with as well. Have you got anything to add to this, Nabil? I mean, are, are you against the expansion of the Champions League and, and the, ultimately into this Super League where, where English clubs potentially withdraw even from their own leagues? No, um, like I mentioned before, I think I'm a big fan of uh, domestic football and English football. I think it's important to get the balance and I don't like UEFA pushing this agenda of it's it's becoming commercialised, it's becoming to make money and 
But I, and I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not having a go at City here, of course. I, I'm, I'm a massive Manchester City supporter and, and, yeah. uh, and, and, and I, I want them to do well in everything. But if they're, when you say UEFA are driving this, if, if six English clubs and if City are one of them are going to UEFA and saying this is what we want, it isn't necessarily only UEFA that are driving well, this. From what I understand, it was UEFA that said we were looking at doing changes and now it's clubs that are saying, well, we can do this and we can do that and there's kind of clicks of clubs and their CEOs and all the rest of it getting together to say, well, this has got the support of yeah. X amount of clubs and Y amount of clubs, but UEFA do want a change. So do you think UEFA are instigating yeah, it? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. They've got um, the annual meeting next year where it's up for discussion, it's yeah. on the agenda, which is why these have all come about. So UEFA definitely wants it. Um, but again, you know, they're looking down at the, the Downsides, but then City have already done this and this is kind of something that went under the radar for a lot of people was the Premier League so one of the things that's made the Premier League great we can all agree is the equal distribution of TV rights and that's benefited City and it's bloody kept the lights on over the dark years in that sense if it wasn't for that equal distribution we could have gone the way of burying stuff like that Whereas now they've renegotiated the foreign TV rights. City have gone, well, actually, we're more commercial, so we want bigger share of this. And that's going to disadvantage the lower clubs, which we once were. So, unfortunately, we've already gone down that route and we kind of are selling up, not necessarily selling our souls, but we are kind of, well, it doesn't affect us anymore, so I'm not bothered. There's even the suggestion, of course, if this was to happen, that the Premier League would be reduced by two clubs uh, yeah. to accommodate the extra fixtures. So it's a big talking point. Anyway, what we've got left of the podcast, uh, let's throw quickly ahead to Oxford in the uh, Carabao Cup and, uh, and the upcoming huge game. And who would have thought we'd be saying this about Leicester? Uh, but uh, you know the battle for second is it? I mean, what what is the Leicester game? But but you know, throwing both in is the Oxford game now that City appear not to be in the title race anymore. A far more important game. Do you desperately want to win the Carabao Stroke League Cup three times in a row? What sort of team should should Pep be putting out at, at, at cup. Oxford? Yeah, it's our cup. What sort of team do you want? What how, what attitude do you want? From Quite it? a strong team, to be honest. I think I think it's. Tony said it right just then the fact that we're on two in a row and going for three in a row this is just going to be our cup isn't it and we we should make it our cup because <laughs> it does give us that momentum going into the the back end of the season if you look at what it's meant to us once we've won it in February and kind of going on even if the title's not up for grabs and I do say if I mean personally I think you know it's Liverpool's to lose but it's not impossible so even if it, at that point we come to you know and it is up for grabs we, we want that and if it's not then we've still got the last stage of the Champions League and we've still got the FA Cup and that side of it and I still want us to go out and win every game going forward because I don't think, and this is no disrespect to Leicester, but for us, from going through doing it back to back, we need to be finishing second if we're not going to be finishing first. Um, and that, as I say, that's nothing on Leicester. I think, to be honest, we should be better than Leicester because they've got a new manager in, in terms of the back end of last season. So it's not necessarily a settled squad that he's had years to work with. We should be better than Leicester. That being said, at this moment, on current form, it's debatable. When we're looking at the squad for tomorrow night, for me, Yes, I agree with Will, a strongest squad, but at the same time, I think we need to have um, Garcia and David Bellis again in the uh, centre-backs because, A, I was impressed with them. Um, we well, were obviously cameo in the last few minutes with uh, Bellis, wasn't it? But I was impressed with Garcia midweek, and I think for going forward, 
if they can get more game times, we can start utilising them a lot more when Stones keeps, obviously, he's injured again now, um, cover for Otamendi, um, and also start getting giving him this game time that Foden's been crying out for, and some of these ones, uh, younger ones, and at the moment are crying out for, and one that I'd love to see is uh, Braff. I've seen him in a few of the EDS games, and I would absolutely love it if he gets his opportunity against Oxford. He's another winger, though, because isn't he? He is, but I think, from what I've seen of him, um, he's probably got potential, well, Jaden Sancho's in terms of he's still got potential going ahead, but for comparing them to and I saw them both at a similar age in the EDS, I think he's slightly got that more raw ability than Sancho did, so I'd love to see us try and keep him and push him into the squad. Who are you talking about, sorry? Um, Braff is uh, one of the kids in the EDS. Um, What's his first name? Uh, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but obviously I've seen Braff a few times. Sorry. Tony will now sorry. look it up while we're talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it escapes me at the moment. But there's, I'll, a, uh, there's, um, there's a couple of players in that squad. I mean, Bernabe you've seen in the first team. Yeah. Pervedi you've Pervedi seen in the first team. He's, 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 my he's, a, he's the one I, uh, I, I love players like that, low centre of gravity. And, and if yeah, he comes Jayden. on... Jaden Braff. Yeah. I had Jaden in my head, but because I just said about Sancho, yeah. was that <laughs> because of Sancho? Was that because it was? But no, it is Jaden Braff. But as I say, in terms of his ability and what I've seen of him so far, I'd love for him to have the opportunity. But I think when it comes to Oxford, we're going to end up with that mixed bag of inexperience with experience. So if David Silver is fit, because um, I noticed in Pep's pre-post-match uh, midweek, he did say that he's uh, been off for two days, which I think is why Foden then started again against Arsenal. Um, but if Silver is fit he'll be back and it'll just be a mixture of experience and youth which is what we need but that youth does, does yeah. need to start getting blooded yeah I think at the end of the day a competition is a competition you're in it to win it you, 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 that's what I, this thing what was it Alex Ferguson mentioned a, uh, a few years ago that it's the FA Cup he didn't really take it seriously I completely disagree with that when you are drawn into a competition against any other teams you have to play to win I, I would never ever play a game of football to lose um, and I think, yeah, we should make it our cup. We've won it, what is it, two times in a row now? Um, and we should go for the third. And that is the same with the FA Cup. So, yeah, you field a team which, which whatever Pep feels that is strong enough to win that game against Oxford based on the opposition. That's up to Pep. Um, but So would you prioritise Oxford then over Leicester? No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm I'm saying that I'd prioritise both games. They're both important. But you can't. You prioritise. You've got to pick one. <laughs> so. Hang on, hang on a minute. Players can play two games in yeah. a week, Tony. No, they, I know they, they can. I'm just uh, curious because I said about the kids playing in and, you know, that for me is kind of, some would say that's not necessarily taking it seriously. But I think the way Pep brings the kids in, he's not doing a uh, Wenger and playing a load of 18, 17-year-olds and that's the full 11. Pep brings the kids in in quite a good way. Whereas mm. if we're saying we've, we're in it to win it, that means no kids at all and we've got to go and prioritise no, that in it to win I, it. I did say as well, based on the opposition. So if Pep feels another team is capable of winning that game, you're still going in it to win the game, right? But that might be a different team based on the opposition. <laughs> And in terms of the league, I know you mentioned earlier, as football fans, ourselves as City fans, we have to believe until the end of the season. That's what makes us fans, right? And I think that is the crux of any football fan around the world. You have to believe your team can win it. And I know Liverpool are 14 points ahead, um, but you have to hope and pray that somewhere along the line they drop points they wobble I mean it is theirs to lose I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you and I'm praying for that person I'm, ho I'm hoping for that I'm hoping that we can carry on and we can win 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 and then focus on what we have to do 
and hope, honestly hoping Liverpool drop points. I mean, I might, you might call me the biggest optimist in the world, but I think at the end of the day, being a City fan, I don't want to lose that uh, elite title again. I want to retain it, even if that's three times in a row, four times in a row, five times in a row. I want to keep going, keep going. I know no team's ever done it. Um, but yeah, I think you have to be optimistic. Um, I'm going to believe until the, un, until May. Otherwise, then you could say, what's the point of playing the rest of the games? You'd rather just give it to Liverpool now. And I don't think Pep's going to do that. I don't think any of the fans want to see that personally. So every competition we go in, we go in 100% and we're going to win. What a lovely, positive way to end this week's uh, podcast. Um, Can I not throw a bit of pessimism in there? No, oh, no. Come on, <laughs> so, yeah, 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 no, no, we're, we're sacking you off now. Right, listen, uh, the next podcast will be recorded on the Sunday evening, uh, UK, of course, if you're listening to this around the world, after the Leicester game. Uh, and there will be, we will continue on all the way through the busy festive period, uh, generally recording at weekends, but I'll keep you posted on that near the time. I did promise you last week, thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk, who are uh, the sponsors of the podcast, the Chartered Mortgage Advisors, so look them up and see if they can help you. I did promise you that I'd put live the Vincent Company uh, podcast, which is Vincent Company, Kevin De Bruyne and Brian Kidd talking about uh, the treble season. I forgot to do it, right? So uh, my apologies. I will put it live. Um, uh, probably I'll leave it 24 hours after this one goes up and then I'll put it live. In fact, Will, who helps I'll me, give you a text. we'll put it on a timer or something. We can put it on a timer so it'll go live. So I promise you that will be there. It's a little sort of bonus, if you like, over the festive period. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Um, thanks for the comments. Uh, feel free to, to tell us the things you disagree with, the things you agree with. Uh, we always value that. If you subjects you want us to talk about in a future podcast, then ask us, no problem. Uh, we'll do our best to answer them. Uh, thanks very much, as I say, for listening. We'll see you again next time.